this is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now as you listen. To open your Bibles this morning to Colossians chapter 1 as we continue in our study of Paul's letter to the church at Colossae. And we're going to look this morning at verses 21 through 23. And we're talking about making sense of our past, our present, and our, our future. And last week, as we finished up in verse 20, we saw that, that God is, is going to one day reconcile to Himself all things. We talked about the fact last week that, as Romans 8 says, even the creation itself is, is, is groaning that the world as we see it today is not the world that, that God created in Genesis 1 and pronounced it very good because of what happened in Genesis 3, because of the entrance of sin into the world that has brought pain and suffering and death to human beings. It's even altered things in the natural world. We talked about the fact that that God's original creation had no suffering, no death, none of the natural catastrophes that we see today in terms of earthquakes or tsunamis or, yes, tornadoes. And, and, And within 24 hours after last Sunday, we saw just a horrific example of of that in Oklahoma. And so we don't want to let something like that pass without just saying a special prayer for those who are suffering. We have all seen images on our TV screens this week that we will carry with us. And so we just want to lift up those that are, are missing loved ones today, those who are are suffering, those who have lost so much. So let, let's join together in, in prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, we have seen examples this week of the fact that this is not the creation that you originally designed, that this is a fallen world, a broken world. And Father, we, we want to pray for those who have, have lost loved ones in, in Oklahoma. We, we can, can't even imagine the, the suffering of parents who have lost little children. We pray that you would come alongside them and that you would comfort them in the power of your spirit. We, we pray, Father, for those who are, are injured because of the storm. And, Father, we pray for Christians in that area, for churches in, in that area. We, we pray, Father, that in, in the midst of this tragedy that the love of Christ and the light of Christ would just be shown and that through it all that people would be drawn to the Savior. Father, we've seen this week uh, not only just an example from the natural world that, that our creation has fallen, but... But, Father, in, in a moral sense, and what we saw happen on the streets of, of London as someone was just butchered in brazenly in, in, in broad daylight, Lord, clearly this is a world gone wrong. This is a world that is broken. 
Father, we, we, we know that one day it will not be so. We know that when Christ comes again, that, that all things are going to be reconciled, that this, this world is going to be renewed, made new, and restored to its original condition. And Lord, we look forward to that day. And in the meantime, you were creating new people. You were calling people out from this world and making us new creations to be agents of redemption and healing and light in the midst of all of this brokenness and this present darkness. And so, Father, we pray that you would better equip us to be that kind of people today through your word. And Father, I pray for anyone here today who doesn't yet know the Savior, who hasn't yet experienced the new creation, the fresh beginning that is found in Christ, that today would be the day of new beginning in their life. Lord, speak to us now through your word in these next vital minutes together. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's look at verses 21 through 23 of Colossians chapter 1. And what we're going to see here is our past before Christ, our present in Christ, and our future, who we will be in Christ. Paul says, beginning in verse 21, And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled. In his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Melissa and I celebrated our 21st anniversary this week, and I can promise you that throughout those 21 years of marriage, that, that one of the partners in that marriage has been to the mall a lot more than the other partner in that marriage. But, but when I do go to the mall, uh, and particularly if it's one that I haven't been to a lot before, my first, the first thing that I want to do is I want to find that, that sort of that big kiosk that has the mall directory and sort of the, the map on it, because I'm there for a purpose. I'm there with an aim, a, a target in mind, and I'm not just kind of there to wander around, you know. I'm on the hunt for something. And so I want to know how the mall sort of spreads out and where particular stores are. And when I look at that, that, that mall map, the first thing that I want to see are the three words, You are here. I want to know where I'm standing. If I can know where I'm standing right now, then I can see how everything else sort of unfolds. That's kind of what Paul is doing in this passage. He's basically saying, you are here. And this is your past, and this is your present, and this is your future. This is who you were, this is who you are, and this is who you are going to be. First of all, he tells us who we were, our past, our, our, our past before we, we came to know Christ. Let's look at verse 21. He says, and you, who, and so, and we see here, Paul's coming in for the close-up at this point. 
in verse 20, he's saying that, that one day the world is going to be reconciled. All of creation. And he's taking a wide-angle lens, right? But now, in verse 21, he takes the zoom lens. He comes in for the close-up. And he says, and, and you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. Now, this is our past before we came to know Christ. This is who we were. First of all, he says that, that we were alienated. Alienated from, from who? Well, well, from God. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 18 really kind of fleshes this out. It says of, of all of us before we came to know Jesus, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. Now, this alienation, this estrangement from God produced a couple of effects in our lives. It affected our thinking and then it affected our living. It affected our mind and then it affected our behavior. And he talks about both of those things in verse 21, doesn't he? He says, and you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, literally enemies in your, your minds. Our, our alienation from God messed with our thinking. Listen, if you were converted to Christ as an adult or, or even as, a, say, a, a teenager, your thinking was, the way that you thought about all kinds of things was different before you became a Christian, was it not? Before you became a Christian, you didn't agree with what God said about what's right and wrong or moral or, or immoral or true or, or false. You had a, a different worldview. Your, your thinking was very different about all of these things before you came to know Christ. And so we were hostile in mind. And second... We were doing evil deeds. Our wrong thinking led very quickly to wrong living. Now, I want you to turn to Romans chapter 1. We're going to look at a longer passage. If you're using one of the Bibles in the pews, it's page 939. Because what Paul is doing here in Romans 1 is basically telling us the story of the world. <laughs> this is... This is how our fallenness happened. First of all, sin impacted our, the way that we think, our thinking, and then that was quickly followed up in, in living, which is what Paul is talking about in Colossians 1.21. But let's look at Romans, because he really sort of unfolds it in a very thorough and systematic way and shows the progression of what ha has happened in the world. Let's begin with verse 21 of, of Romans 1. Now Paul is talking here about, about the, uh, the unsaved world. And he says here, beginning in verse 21, For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. And so because people chose 
not to honor God. They have become estranged from their Creator. And what, what, is, what happens? They're futile in their thinking. And then this very quickly turns into the effect upon living. Verses 24 and following. Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions for their women, exchange natural relations for those that are contrary to nature, and the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die... They not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Do you think the Bible is contemporary with our modern world today? Very little has changed. I mean, this, this is a picture of the, Greco, the unsaved Greco-Roman world of the first century. And you can immediately see the parallels to America of the, the 21st century, where all of these sins that he just mentioned are, are, are not only rampant, but, but now, as he talks about in verse 32, there, is, there are approval. There is a, approval of these things. That the people who, in many cases, are shaping our culture, politicians, media, etc., are, are applauding many of these things, giving approval to them, and in fact... If you now agree with what God says about these things, then, then you're the one who's wrong. You're the one who is evil for agreeing with what God says is right and wrong. So this is really warped, okay? We're living in a warped world. Now, how should we then live in a culture like this? What is going to happen to Bible-believing Christians, to Bible-believing churches like ours, well, I think what's going to happen is very clear. We're going to grow stronger than ever. Stronger than ever. And I say that for a couple of reasons. First of all, whenever we're forced to stand for our faith, to be bold about, about our belief in God and, and what God's Word says, that does not weaken us. That always strengthens us. Whenever you have to take a stand for Christ, that's a healthy thing. That's a strengthening thing. If you lift weights, does the resistance of the weight make your muscles weaker or stronger? It makes them stronger. And so throughout Christian history, Whenever Christians have met with resistance in the culture, whenever Christians have been persecuted, they only grow stronger because what it does is it strengthens us and it sharpens us and it forces us to take our faith more seriously. 
Not only that, but as the culture around us grows darker and darker, then the light of Christ shines brighter and brighter. When is a light most bright? It's against the darkness of night, right? And so as the world around us grows darker and darker, then the, the light of the gospel, the light of Christ is going to shine all the brighter and people are going to be drawn to that beacon. Now that was certainly the case in the first century. These Christians in cities like Rome and Colossae and, and Corinth and Ephesus, they were living in the middle of a culture with, with all of the same things that we're now surrounded with in American culture. But what was happening? Um, people that were in that culture were, were seeing the light of Christ. They were hearing. They were hearing the good news of the gospel. And God was drawing people to himself through the proclamation of the gospel. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Paul says here, don't you realize, and he's talking here about, um, we'll see as we go on, don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God. And when Paul says here, those who do wrong, the tense here in Greek indicates he's talking about people who, I mean, we're all sinners, but he's talking here about those who are proud of their sin. They're, they're unrepentant in their sin and, and just continually engaging in sin in, a, in an unrepentant kind of a way, okay? That's what he's talking about. He says, don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God. Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or greedy people or drunkards or are abusive or cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. And look at what he says then. Some of you were once like that but you were cleansed, you were made holy, you were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. It really gives you a flavor of the first century church here, doesn't it? Because these people are living in this, this, this pagan world with, with all of this idolatry and every kind of sin imaginable. But what was happening? As the gospel was proclaimed, as the light of Christ was held out as a beacon, people were, people were drawn to Christ. And no matter what their past was, they were coming and they're, they're, they were being made right with God through faith in Christ and their lives were being transformed and re renewed from the inside out. And it's just a beautiful picture of what the early church was, was all about. Who we were, our past... Second, he says, he's talking here in Colossians 1 about who we are, our, our present. Let's look at chapter 1 and verse 22. He says that he has now, and, and you, who were, were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, this is who we were, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. This is who we are, our present. And he says that we who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, God has now 
reconciled to himself. And it is, it is done here. The tense indicates that this, this has, has happened. What does he say here? He has now reconciled us to himself. It's done. And notice that it is God who has taken the initiative to do this. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. This was not a matter of us sort of meeting God in the middle somewhere, of us doing our part and God doing his part. No, this is one-way love. This is God taking the initiative to reconcile sinners like us to himself, and he did that through his son, through the death of of His Son as Jesus bore our sins in His body on the tree so that we could be reconciled to God. This was all of grace. This was God. This was all of, all of God. Him taking the initiative to reconcile us. It was one-way love. Romans chapter 5 and verse 8 says, But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still in our rebellion and spitting in the face of God and shaking our puny fist at God and saying, I know which way you say, it, you say to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do life my own way. While we were still sinners, what? Christ died for us. Christ died for us. He didn't wait for us to get it together. He didn't wait for us to clean up our act. While we were still sinners, God took the initiative to give His Son so that we could be reconciled to Him. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 18, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down His life for us. And so when we simply trust in the finished work of Christ, then we are made right with God. We are justified by faith. Romans chapter 5 and verse 1 says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, we are no longer at, at enmity with God. We have peace with Him through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, for this reason, those of us who have trusted in Christ are no longer alienated from God, but accepted by God accepted by Him, not on the basis of our performance, but on the basis of the performance of Jesus on our behalf on the cross. All of our sins, past, present, and future, are forgiven, covered by the blood of Christ. We are totally accepted by God now, and not only totally accepted, but adopted. Adopted as beloved sons and daughters of the Heavenly Father. And not only accepted and adopted, but now, as His children, we have access to our Father 24-7. Imagine it. The Lord of heaven and earth, who has all authority in heaven and earth, loves you with a perfect Father love, and you have access to your Father 24-7. You are accepted. You are adopted. You have access to Him. You have inherited your Father's riches, and one day you're going to be with Him forever. Is that good news? Say amen. And this is who we are. 
in Christ. Third, he talks about who we will be, our future. Let's look at the latter part of, of, uh, of verse 22. It says that he's now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to, and now we move into the future, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Now, the word present here is a legal term. It comes from the world of the, the law court. This is, this is law court language. And the word present here was a word that would be used when someone was presented before the court. And what he is saying here is that, that one day when we stand before God, that when we're presented before him in the ultimate courtroom, that as believers we're going to see that our judge is our Savior. Why? Because He came down and has taken our condemnation. He took the condemnation that we deserved. He took our death penalty. And He has credited His perfect righteousness to our account. We sung it earlier. He became sin who knew no sin so that we could become His righteousness. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21. For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin so that in Him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. And so therefore one day in the future we will stand before God holy and blameless and above reproach, not because we have been without sin, but because our Savior was without sin. Now this promise is not for everyone. This promise is for those who have trusted in Christ. Those who are clinging to the cross of Christ. Those who are resting in the finished work of Christ alone for them. And the Bible says that if we have looked to Christ in faith, the evidence of that is going to be that we're going to continue to look to Christ in faith in our lives. Let's look at verse 23. He says, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. Now, this doesn't mean that as Christians that we're going to be perfect in our lives, we're going to still sin. What it means is that if we truly have saving faith in Christ, not that we're going to be perfect, but we're going to continue to cling in faith to a perfect Savior. Are you clinging to Christ today? Are you trusting in the finished work of Christ for you today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the glorious good news of the gospel. We thank you for the amazing grace that you have given to us. Father, thank you for the new life that you give, for the new beginnings that are found in Christ. Lord, thank you for not leaving us as we were, but in love coming to rescue us. And Father, opening the eyes of our heart to 
to see Jesus and to trust in Him. And Lord, we thank You that that now You are in the process of transforming us as believers. And we haven't arrived. None of us have. Uh, We're still broken in so many ways, but, but Your Spirit is in the process of restoring and healing and renewing and transforming. And Lord, we know that that one day the weight of sin is going to be gone. Even this whole world is going to be restored. We're going to be with you forever. As we just continue to reflect before the Lord, have you trusted in Christ? Are you clinging to Him? Turn to Him today. The work has been done He's loved you so much. He's shown His love through the gift of His Son. Would you turn to Jesus today and trust in Him? Turn from trying to do life on your own apart from Him, your way, and turn to Jesus and trust, rest in what He has done for you and dying for your sins upon the cross and rising from the dead. Turn to Jesus and trust Him and welcome Him into your life as Savior and Lord. In just a moment, we're going to sing a a song of invitation. And if you're here today, and maybe during the course of the service or at some point in the past, you've placed your trust in Christ, but you've never made that public. Jesus tells us to make it public, to acknowledge Him before other people. I want to give you the opportunity to do that in just a moment. As soon as others stand, I want to invite you to slip out. I'm going to be right here at the front. Just come share with me what God has done in your life. We want to come alongside you and help you to grow as a believer. We want to set up a day for you to be baptized as a Christian. Or maybe you're here today and you would say, I want to be a part of this church family. We are not meant to do the Christian life on our own. We're meant to do this in the context of a Christian community, a local church. And we want to invite you to come today. If you want to say, I want to be a part of this church family, we want to invite you to come today. We want to welcome you. If you're here today in need of prayer, we invite you to come. And so, Heavenly Father, we give you now this time of invitation. We pray that you would work in every life right now. We pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin. But I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1:12: To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ... God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father, and you are his child. You say, 
I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with them. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you to come to one of our services. We worship at 8.30 and 11 on Sunday mornings. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I could help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.